Today on The Matt Wall Show, one of the most horrific murder cases in modern history has gotten zero, and I really do mean zero, coverage from the American national media. The reason? Well, the victim is a white five-year-old child. The alleged killer is a black man, uh, but this case deserves attention, and we will give it attention today on the show. Also, five headlines, including BLM activists claiming now that looting is okay because it's a form of reparations. And in our daily cancellation, I'll cancel all the leftists who are currently celebrating over, over a woman being chosen as Biden's VP. Apparently, these leftists have forgotten that women don't exist anymore, according to them. So I'll have to remind them of that uh, rather technical problem today on the show. But first, let's talk about LifeLock. Uh, listen, you can't believe everything you see on the internet, in case you didn't know that, especially when you get a random email that seems suspicious. Fraudsters have been trying to capitalize these days by sending uh, messages through social media and emails, trying to get consumers to fall for a scam that uses Cash App. The message, the way it works, is uh, it offers free money via the app to help people through a difficult time. However, the link is in, in the message is fraudulent and malicious, and it could steal money, it could steal your personal information. Uh, and this is just one example of a scam. There are many more scams. I mean, millions of scams out there. And you might think you're too smart to fall for it, but scammers have ways of getting your info no matter how smart you think you are. That's why you need to protect yourself with LifeLock. Because the fact is, every day, we might not want to think about it, but we put our information at risk on the internet. You could miss certain identity threats just by, you know, if you're monitoring your credit or something like that, you're going to miss some stuff. Good thing there's LifeLock. LifeLock detects a wide range of identity threats like your social security number being for sale on the dark web. You also have access to a dedicated restoration specialist. If uh, if you do have a problem, then you're going to have that resource and that's going to help you uh, in, in, in one of those cases. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. LifeLock can see threats that you might miss on your own. Join now and save up to 25% off your first year. Go to lifelock.com Walsh. That's lifelock.com slash Walsh for 25% off. Okay, um, now we have to talk about this horrible case. It's a story that shocks the conscience. Uh, even amid all of the death and atrocity in the world, it stands out and sticks with you. Five-year-old Cannon Hinnant was murdered in cold blood this past Sunday while out riding a bike in front of his father's house. The alleged killer, Darius Sessoms, was witnessed walking right up to the child, putting the gun to his head, pulling the trigger. An execution, point blank range of a small child in front of his sisters who were also playing outside at the time. Uh, Sesums, a demon spawned straight from hell if he is guilty of this crime, initially fled the scene but was caught hours later. It's still not known why he allegedly committed this unspeakable atrocity, though at one level, of course, it doesn't matter. It's a hideous, evil, no matter the motivation behind it, but you can't help but ask why when you hear about something like this, especially when you realize that Sesums was the next door neighbor uh, to the child's father. And according to some witnesses, he had just been over for dinner the night before. So I suspect there will never be a completely coherent answer to the why question. And this is the very definition of a, of a senseless act. But now a beautiful, joyful child has been taken from the world, most importantly from his family, from his parents, and the hole that is left in his absence will never be filled. That's one thing we know for sure. Here's another thing we know for sure. The name Canon Hinnant would be known across the country, and the name Darius Sessoms reviled the world over if the races were reversed. A story of a white man running up to a black child and executing him while he rode his bike would be front page news for weeks. And we all know this. 
And there would almost certainly be rioting spurned on in part by the incessant coverage. We know that. Instead, this story has gotten almost no coverage by the American national media. And when I say no coverage, I really mean no coverage. I think a visual here will be instructive. As of this morning, when I last checked, a search for Canon Hinnant turned up zero results with the New York Times, zero with the Washington Post, Reuters, Yahoo News, NBC News, ABC News. A search on CNN also turned up no results, though Google does direct you to a, an article by WRAL, a local news channel in North Carolina. APnews.com does have a, a little blurb about it, but you have to really search to find it. It's a few sentences long and, of course, doesn't make any mention of the races of the people involved. Now, I should, no, I should note that in the next few days, some of these outlets may follow suit and, and do what the AP did and put up their own little blurbs. If they feel some pressure for not having covered it, they may just cover the base to say they did and then move on quickly. Or maybe they won't. Maybe they'll say nothing at all. Uh, either way, the point is clear. This is not something they want to talk about. Uh, so far with this case, we have one of the most thorough and, and remarkable blackouts of a story that I've ever seen, certainly since Gosnell anyway. Now, it's easy to anticipate the excuses that will be offered, and in some cases have already been offered, for this outrageous disparity. It'll be claimed that, for example, Cannon's execution is not newsworthy because it was carried out by a civilian, not an agent of the state. Not an agent of the state. But Ahmaud Arbery was, was killed by a civilian, so was Trayvon Martin. They're both household names. Uh, it'll be argued that this crime wasn't racially motivated, which is supposed to make it less relevant to the general public. But even if I agreed with the premise that non-racially motivated crimes aren't as relevant, and I don't agree with that presence, uh, with that with that uh, premise, uh, but even if I did, and even if it's true that Cannon's murder wasn't motivated by race, and we don't know that at this point, this argument still doesn't wash because Michael Brown was not a racially motivated killing. Neither was Freddie Gray or Eric Garner or George Floyd or really any of the famous homicide or alleged homicide cases from the last decade or so, none of them have had any established and proven link to racism, yet these victims are all also household names. Now, as a, as a last-ditch attempt at obfuscation, it'll be said that, well, this crime isn't on video, thus making it less sensational and giving less viral potential to it. Um, and it's sad if murder is looked at that way these days, as, as content to be consumed. But I can see that this is, in fact, how the media views the subject. But there was no video of Trayvon Martin. There was no video of Freddie Gray. And on the other side, I can think of plenty of sensational murders that were caught on video, yet, yet received very little coverage. Daniel Shaver, the white Arizona man killed by cops while on his knees begging for his life. The worst cop shooting that, that has been caught on video, hands down, um, or how about Brittany Hill, the, the black Chicago mother gunned down by gang members while holding her baby? It's one of the most shocking crimes ever to be caught on camera, and yet very little media interest in either of these cases. There simply is no explanation for the way these various incidents are treated other than the most disgraceful and infuriating one. The national media is specifically interested in fueling a certain racial narrative, and they will make the intentional editorial decision to blacklist or downplay any story that interferes with it. Brittany Hill was ignored because she was killed by men with the wrong color skin. Um, the silence around Cannon Hinton's name is even more deafening because he was killed by a man with the wrong color skin while also himself having the wrong color skin. We cannot be so jaded that we don't stop to really focus on this and consider it for the horror and the outrage that it is. The national media doesn't care that Cannon Hinnant 
died, was killed, and doesn't want you to care because he was white. It is that straightforward, that sick, that evil. There is no way around it. It is the truth. It is undeniable. The lesson that we take from this, I think, is crucial. Our reality is curated. We live in the information age, but information is not the same thing as knowledge. Even less is it, is it perspective. Even less is it wisdom. To have information, to be informed, is merely to be made aware of certain events and certain facts, and perhaps only in bits and pieces. But we have confused information with knowledge, which means that the people giving us information also give us the illusion of knowledge. They sift through the events of modern society, pulling bits from here and bits from there, presenting pieces of different puzzles, but never the full picture. And then we, many of us anyway as Americans, take all of those pieces and imagine that we know something about the world. So if the national media only ever tells us about white-on-black killing and only very carefully selected facts about those killings, and they flat-out refuse to acknowledge the existence of black-on-white killing, or if they have to acknowledge it only in a dismissive way and certainly never, ever, ever in the context of any kind of larger trend, then we'll begin to think that we know something. And what we know, we think, is that America is a racist country where black people are being hunted and killed and the reverse almost never happens because white people are protected by their privilege and by the racist institutions that elevate them while oppressing everybody else. This is the picture the media wants to present, wants us to see by forcing a bunch of random pieces from other puzzles together. The narrative is all that matters. It is the prime directive, the only thing that is ever considered when deciding what not to cover, what to cover, and how to cover it. And that is why Canon Hinnant, despite being a precious and innocent young child, savagely cut down in broad daylight while riding his bike, looking forward to starting kindergarten. That is why he will not be memorialized or mourned over, or talked about the way that George Floyd was. That doesn't change the fact that this is a great, unimaginable tragedy. And it is an injustice that that commands our attention. No matter what CNN says, or more precisely, doesn't say about it. Let's go to our five headlines. Before we talk about these, you know, it's really important to be prepared before an emergency hits, because once the emergency is upon you, it's a little bit late to get prepared there then, and that's why you need ReadyWise. As you probably already know, our sponsor, Wise Company, has changed their name to ReadyWise. Now is a better time than any to be prepared with long-term nutritional food options. Uh, ReadyWise has meal options like emergency meals, freeze-dried fruits, uh, and vegetables for convenience. They also have new adventure meals for hiking or camping, uh, which I really enjoy. ReadyWise meals are easy to prepare. All you gotta do is add water. They have a very long shelf life. Uh, And uh, and they're also affordable. So ReadyWise is making it affordable and not just that also, let, let, me, let me add, the meals taste good. ReadyWise uses the finest ingredients and latest food preparation technology to ensure optimal taste and freshness. So you're not sacrifice, sacrificing taste uh, just because of the convenience that comes with it. Every recipe is crafted by a team of chefs to provide a nutritional meal during critical times. Each meal is a combination of both dehydrated and freeze-dried ingredients. Meals are packed into uh, durable, long-lasting pouches designed to keep food fresh for up to 25 years. And I can tell you that, uh, that, that this is one of the most noticeable things for me about ReadyWise when I have tried it. And I've got a, I've got a whole stash, of course, that I'm, that I'm saving for an emergency, but I've tried it as well. And uh, I was blown away by just how good it tastes as well. This week, my listeners can get free shipping at ReadyWise.com when entering Walsh at checkout or by calling 
855-475-3089. ReadyWise is a 90-day, no questions asked return policy, so there's no risk taking the initiative to get yourself and your family prepared today. That's ReadyWise, R-E-A-D-Y-W-I-S-E.com. Promo code Walsh to get free shipping uh, today. Okay, number one, Kamala Harris is Joe Biden's VP pick. Uh, This is exciting news, folks. I, I mean, I don't really care, but some people do, so... Uh, it's exciting for some people. I'll have more to say about this in the daily cancellation. For now, let me just echo the sentiments uh, expressed by uh, other people that this pick seems like perhaps the worst of all worlds for Joe Biden. She's from a state that Biden was already going to win. Um, she doesn't have a, an, an enthusiastic fan base. She's hated by a lot of people left of center and right of center, a bit like Hillary in that regard. So I'm not sure what what the what the upside is here. Other than the fact that she checks the box. She's a minority woman. She checks the box. And since Biden announced ahead of time that he's going to pick a woman and that he especially wants to pick a minority woman, well, he can't claim now, although he's going to try to, but can't really claim credibly that she got the job because she was the best fit for it. She, he already announced that he was, he was ruling out most people because of their demographics. Um, so this is a, this is a, a check the box type of pick. And he told us that ahead of time. But as I said, there'll be more to say about that in, in a daily cancellation. Number two, the country of New Zealand, one of the most remote inhabited land masses on earth, a tiny island nation with a few million residents, a few airports, a few international airports, uh, and with its closest neighbors being Australia, the most sparsely inhabited continent on earth and Antarctica, an uninhabited continent, um, So we're talking about that New Zealand. Just to be specific, that's the New Zealand we're talking about here, okay? Not any other. And and this country has been put forward as a coronavirus success story and a model for the rest of us to follow. And sure, we could follow the New Zealand model. All we have to do, first of all, is is uproot our continent and place it somewhere in the middle of the Pacific. I don't know. We we need to be floating out there with no one else around us uh, so that we can even begin to be in the same position as New Zealand. But here's the problem. New Zealand is now having a surge of new cases. And in response, they're shutting down their cities again, going into lockdown, um, considering postponing their election. And there are people flocking to the grocery stores again, panicking. Uh, here's, Here's some of that footage. Watch this. Now, here's the kicker. The surge in new cases that I just mentioned, four people, four in one family. And as far as I know, none of the cases are fatal. Four people, four non-fatal cases in the entire country, and they're shutting everything down and panicking like that. So what can we take from that? For one thing, they're terrified because they have zero herd immunity, uh, which, which, which makes them more susceptible, which is a good argument against the lockdowns. But for another... This is how New Zealand is handling it. If anyone anywhere gets diagnosed, they panic and shut down their whole society. And and so when someone puts forth the New Zealand model, that's what they're suggesting we do. That we stay locked down until there are literally zero cases. And as soon as another case pops up again, we shut down again. Uh, Number three, a Black Lives Matter organizer in Chicago has come out in defense of looting uh, on the basis that it is, she says, reparations. Take a listen. I don't care if somebody decides to loot a Gucci 
or a Macy's or a Nike because that makes sure that that person eats. That makes sure that that person has clothes. That makes sure that that person can make some kind of money because this city obviously doesn't care about them. Not only that, that's reparations. That is reparations. Anything they want to take, take it because these businesses have insurance. They're going to get their money back. My people aren't getting anything. Anything you want to take, take it, is her quote. Imagine as a sane human actually aligning yourself with that. Actually, you know, being on the same side as people who openly state that they have a God-given right to take anything they want from anybody. So if you're aligning yourself with Black Lives Matter, the organization, this is what you're aligning yourself with. Is that really what you, do you really believe that? You, you think that people have the right to just take whatever they want from anyone? Um, now, okay. So first of all, we've got a, a few competing assertions here. Uh, looting is okay because people need the stuff because they're starving. Or is it because they have a right to it because of its reparations for atrocities that were committed against other people 150 years ago? It seems like it has to be one or the other, right? And either way, of course, it's lunacy. And the idea that people have to steal armfuls of purses and shoes from designer stores because they're hungry. What are they going to do? Eat the shoes? What, what exactly is happening here? It's, again, lunacy. It's, and it's probably pointless to spend much time explaining why this is lunacy. Because if, if you hear an assertion like that, and you actually find it persuasive, uh, there's, 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 you, you are so far gone psychologically that there's probably no argument I could ever present to you to convince you otherwise. So let's move on. Number four, um, there have been a number of attacks already launched, ads, uh, ads and you know, things launched against the Biden-Harris ticket. All of the attacks warranted, some of them more effective than others. Let me give you an example. Uh, this one just came out. This is an example of a, an effective uh, attack against Biden-Harris. Watch. Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, the most extreme pro-abortion ticket in American history and the agenda to prove it. A pro-abortion Supreme Court and abortion on demand, even at nine months up to the moment of birth, all with your tax dollars. So extreme, Biden and Harris believe babies who survive abortions should be left to die. Disturbing views, troubling policies. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are pro-abortion fanatics. Women Speak Out PAC is responsible for the content of this advertising. I've been saying this forever. Uh, this is a winner for Republicans. Th exactly what you saw there. And this is true. These are pro-abortion extremists. Joe Biden is a pro-abortion extremist. Now, he might not really be in his head. Uh, you know, any, I, I, I think he probably knows in his own mind that a, a child five seconds before birth is a human being. Uh, or, or, you know, or five seconds after conception is also a human being. He probably knows that in his head, just like he knows in his head that, you know, that, that men can't get pregnant. But he's pretending that he doesn't know these things because he is beholden to the far left. And, uh, and Kamala Harris, especially on these issues, really is authentically a far leftist. This is, this is, this is a winner, okay, to, to point out that they are extremists. This is not something. Supporting, you know, killing babies fully developed in the womb who are viable outside of the womb, that is not a mainstream position. It's among pro-abortion people, it might be, but among just the general population, it is not. 
And so this is absolutely something that should be put front and center. And I think that's a great ad. Okay, number five. Finally, I have to tell you, uh, I was I was really thrilled to see this article in Vice. As a member myself of the arachnophobia community, uh, as someone who has that uh, disability, uh, I'm tired of being marginalized and excluded from society. And Vice is coming to my defense. Here's the article. It says, spiders are a popular video game monster. They're also an accessibility problem. The developers of Grounded, which is a, a video game, I guess, made spiders the big enemy of, enemy of their new game, then suddenly realized a bunch of people were too scared to play it. They decided to find a real solution. And then there's this editor's note. Look at this. Editor's note, there are no images of spiders in this piece because this is a story about a phobia we have decided to avoid, including any imagery that might trigger it. So this is sort of like a, an anti-trigger warning. It's a trigger warning that there are no triggers. Okay, great. Let's go to the article. It says, when you first start Grounded, a stylish new survival game from RPG developer Obsidian, where shrunken players explore a backyard full of unexpected dangers, the game asks a surprising question. Are you afraid of spiders? The game informs players, quote, the, the game contains spiders that are often much larger than the player. If you're super not okay with that, you can enable arachnophobia safe mode in the accessibility options. This is a visual-only setting that does not affect gameplay or difficulty. Um, and from there, it's, it's uh, in, going back to the articles, it's from there, it's super easy to jump in and move the slider to change and deform the look of the game spiders from something monstrous into blobs with two bulging eyes. A small but important touch, you don't even have to see the original design for a spider. The game forces the player to enable spider preview. Um, and then, uh, okay, this, just, this article goes on for a long, a long, long time. This is a very long art article. And... Uh, talking about the accessibility problem of uh, for arachnophobes, people of the Iraq community. Iraq, not Iraq. Uh, that's what we call ourselves, I just decided. And it, the problem is we're excluded from games that have scary spiders. And this is something that has really plagued me, especially as an avid uh, gamer myself. But fortunately, video game developers are finally addressing the problem, and I'm very grateful for that. But this is obviously, this is what I wanted to say. This is only a first step. Yes, we can eradicate spiders from video games, but what about on the rare occasion that a gamer leaves the house? You know, what if it's that 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 uh, monthly or bi-monthly journey out of the house? There are spiders everywhere outside. Have you seen outside? It's horrifying. Those, those little bastards spinning their webs everywhere. No respect for your personal space. Everywhere you go, they're trying to catch you in their webs. They're trying to you know, crawl into your ear, lay eggs in your brain. It, I mean, this kind of stuff happens. So my issue is, I, I am not able to participate in existence, really. I'm not able to participate in life in general, at least not to the fullest extent, because spiders are out there, and they're super scary, and they have too many eyes, just far too many. It's weird. It's not right. So something has to be done for my community so that we can really be full participants in society. The video game is paving the way, but what about everywhere else? Now, here's some suggestions. You could start by, uh, first of all, giving us all earplugs so that the spiders can't get in. That'd be a good place to start. We could talk about, you know, uh, some kind of plan to hunt down all the spiders and exterminate them. A, a genocide of spiders, if, if you will. Or in lieu of that, uh, I mean, listen, if you want to just give me some money for my pain and suffering, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 million a year uh, from taxpayers, that might help ease my fears and uh, heal my wounds before the spiders can crawl in. 
So these are all things we could talk about, but I'm glad. I'm, I'm, ju- I'm just glad that we are finally having that conversation. It's an important conversation. Speaking of important conversations, let's move on to our daily cancellation. Today for our daily cancellation, we're going to be canceling everybody on the left celebrating the Kamala Harris VP pick uh, because they can't celebrate it. It doesn't make sense for them to celebrate it. Because, but you see, this is a common problem. One of the most prominent characteristics of leftists in modern America is their complete inability or unwillingness to apply their principles consistently, especially in their personal lives. Now, you see stark illustrations of this problem uh, provided, for example, by the climate alarmist who warns of an impending apocalypse but still maintains a 401k, the pro-abortion zealot who congratulates a pregnant woman despite believing her to be infested by a subhuman parasite. Of course, there there are also the well-worn examples of the socialist tweeting about the pitfalls of capitalism on his iPhone, um, the progressive politician preaching about the evils of guns while flanked by a squadron of armed security. So all of that. It seems that, you know, if not for cognitive dissonance, many on the left would not have any cognition at all. Nowhere is this dynamic more obvious and glaring than in the arena of gender. Leftist gender ideology contradicts itself in so many places that you feel yourself nearly going insane just trying to make sense of all of it. And I think that's by design, by the way. Uh, It's not one coherent theory, but a chaotic web of declarations and doctrines, each asserting itself without any apparent awareness of the others. One example at random. We're told that sexual orientation is immutable, cannot be changed, right? We're also told that gender is fluid and can easily be changed. These two things cannot be true at the same time. If a gay man decides to identify as a woman, then then either we must say that he is no longer gay since he's now a woman attracted to a man, or he is not actually a woman. If he's no longer gay, then sexual orientation can be changed. If he's not actually a woman, then gender is not fluid. See, there are only three options here. Either sexual orientation cannot be changed, and neither can gender, or sexual orientation can be changed, and so can gender, or sexual orientation can be changed, but gender cannot be changed. Any of those are logically possible, though only one is scientifically and factually correct. But the theory that sexual orientation is immutable while gender is fluid is a logical impossibility. Somebody making such a claim might as well defend the inherent roundness of rectangles or the fundamental dryness of water. It is logically contradictory. It cannot be true. The leftist confusion about gender and about what their own view on the subject is supposed to be has been especially on display ever since Joe Biden, of course, announced Kamala Harris, like we talked about, as his pick for vice president. Um, there are other, you know, funny and hypocritical things about the pick, too, of course, such as the fact that Harris will now be working under and subordinate to a man that she tearfully denounced as a racist not even a year ago. But the greater point is that the media's ecstatic reaction to a woman VP pick is belied by the rather serious problem that women don't technically exist according to leftist ideology. According to them, the word woman has no discernible meaning. A woman is not necessarily a person with XX chromosomes and female reproductive organs. A woman is not defined by anything physical, nor nor neurological, nor psychological, nor behavioral. A woman is not defined by anything. Which, which, Which is to say that a woman isn't anything in particular. Woman, by the light of the left's philosophy, is an arbitrary concept. It has no substance. It is not objective. It can mean anything and be anyone. If you think I'm overstating the case here, then just approach any leftist currently extolling the woman vice presidential nominee and simply ask them what they mean when they say woman. They will not be able to answer the question. They cannot define the word, and I mean literally cannot. 
their ideology won't allow it. Now, if you do pose this question, you know, the eternal question that I have been posing to leftists for years now, the most likely response will be a deflection, accusing you of being a transphobe or whatever. But, you know, of course, not actually answering the question. You may, however, be presented with some kind of attempt at an answer. So let's go through a couple. Here's a common one, uh, one that I've heard many times. A woman is an adult human female, which, yes, this part is correct. This, this, this is the actual answer. You win the prize. Congratulations. Adult human female. That's what a woman is. But then they'll continue, an adult human female or anyone who identifies as an adult human female. Now our coherent and correct definition has been thrown into chaos. Because this definition is just another way of saying that a woman is an adult human female or not an adult human female. Woman has no definition if that is the definition. A thing cannot be what it is and also what it isn't. This is like saying that a tree is, is a tree or anything that looks like a tree. So a drawing of a, of a tree actually isn't a drawing of a tree because it is the thing that it's a drawing of? That makes no sense. A similar problem for people who say trans women are women. Okay, then why do you call them trans? What, what does the trans part denote? Is there, in fact, some notable difference between trans women and non-trans women? If so, then the two groups are fundamentally different. But if you say they are not fundamentally different... Then, um, then it doesn't make any sense to differentiate them the way that you already do in the, ways that you, in the way that you refer to them. So none of this makes any sense. You might also be told that uh, words like woman and man are on a spectrum. Okay, then tell me about this spectrum. What is on either side of this spectrum? Define the people who exist on the extreme ends of the woman side and the man side. If someone is on the spectrum between man and woman, what does that mean? Between what and what? So you can't escape the definition problem by talking about spectrums. If the spectrum takes us from one undefinable thing to another undefinable thing, then it is not a spectrum. It is more like a black hole where all sense and reason and the very laws of science break down into nothingness. So what exactly does a man mean when he says, I identify as a woman? What is a woman? Is a woman in the end just anyone who enjoys feminine things or dresses in a feminine way? Well, that can't be it because we can't define feminine until we have defined the word woman. The, word, the definition of feminine is hinged on the definition of woman. Also, this definition would turn a lot of women into non-women and a lot of non-women into women. Besides, the left has been trying to break down the societal constructs of feminine versus masculine for years now. Surely you can't go from not all women should be expected to be feminine to the only defining characteristic of womanhood is femininity. So what is a woman? They have no answer. As leftists, though, they are obliged to celebrate the achievements of women, even as they are obliged to also deny the objective existence of women. This is the paradox that we are expected to pretend we don't notice. But we should notice it. Because it reveals the basic incoherence of leftist gender ideology. It is, it's not, see, this is what I want people to understand. It's not just scientifically wrong. It is scientifically wrong. It is also logically impossible what they are, the, the things that they are, are asserting and contending make no logical sense. And that's the most important part of this. Um, and because of all of that, they're canceled. Who am I canceling? I guess the left in general I'm canceling. Sort of redundant. I cancel them every day, but just to be clear, canceled again on The Matt Wall Show. And we're going to leave it there on that note. Have a great day, everybody. Godspeed.
If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, and The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Danny D'Amico, and our audio is mixed by Robin Fenderson. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2020. Hey everyone, I'm Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. An empty suit picks an empty skirt for running mate. The mask of 70s liberalism and the mask of identity politics are both masking just one thing, socialism. We'll take a look at the Democrats' ticket of illusion. And we'll also have the mailbag, so all your problems will be solved on The Andrew Claven Show. <laughs>